Everyone, it's Adasha Townsend of the Feast and Fashion Podcast. I'm a veteran food and beverage journalist who's worked with some of the most notable media outlets in the world. Feast and Fashion is the intersection of food and fashion, one beautiful plate or a glass at a time. With each episode, I will introduce you to fascinating, fabulous people in the culinary industry. Today, Catherine Alvera Sullivan joins me. She's absolutely fabulous, of course. And she's also the owner of one of Chicago's most glamorous restaurants, Marquesa. It's the epitome of French chicness with indulgence as its calling card. Catherine talks about how her eye for fashion, art, and architecture helped make this concept one of Chicago's hottest destinations. Okay, so Catherine, welcome to Feast and Fashion. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. I am so happy to see you. I mean, I think I've known you now. It's been well over 20 years, and I've followed all of your concepts, and they just keep getting better and better. Thank you so much. It's true that you and I have a long history. Um, we both love the nightlife and great food and wine, and at, the, at its yeah. essence, what we do here at Marquesa. Marquesa is your current concept. Before then, you had Domain and you had Nar- the notorious Narcisse. And they've all been very French-focused and European-focused. I want you to talk about your European influence. Why are you so European-influenced when it comes to your concepts? Well, I'm Italian um, on my mother's side. And so I have a love of Italy that is kind of born and just in me. You know, So I love mm-hmm. all the 20 regions of Italy. But as I was growing up, I found that I really had an affinity for the study of French culture, food and wine, and, um, you know, pairings of champagne and caviar and things like that. And so my first concept, Narcisse, opened in 1997, and that was on Clark Street, and it was notorious. We owned it (laughs) five years, and we had every manner of, you know, celebrity, rock star, even royalty. We had the King of Sweden one night, Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin was one of our most famous guests. Sting came on many, many occasions. Simon Le Bon, I was there when Simon Le Bon was here. He was up on the bar wearing a Viking-horned helmet and leather lace-up pants. And uh, we had like Oprah, Star Jones, Cindy Crawford, you know, pretty much everyone that came through Chicago somehow knew about Narcisse, was told about it, and it was a very heady time. There was a lot of trust fund money, we used to say, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So people were popping bottles, and we, we sold more Petrosian um, caviar than anyone else. So we had, um, and we had a great chef, uh, Herbert Riva from Milan, and my business partner back then was a really uh, gregarious guy, artistic Jerry Suki. Clark was involved as well, and my late husband Stefano um, was was at the door as well. So we had an amazing team, and um, every a lot of the people that worked for us then are still part of our team. And we sold that after five years. We almost felt we couldn't top it. You know, it was like so heady, and okay. I just felt like it was so decadent in the sense of you know, like you said, the caviar and the champagne and the over-the-top cocktails and people. And the music, the music, how do you get that vibe? What, what is it that in your head that brought all of that together? Well, I have a lot of experience. Some people know my aunt and uncle, uh, George and Gloria Schles, owned Faces nightclub on Ooh. Rush Street. 
I often tell people that I grew up in a disco. My uncle was a trader, but one day he met Jay Emmerich, who opened up uh, Faces, and Jimmy Rittenberg, of course. Everyone knows Jimmy Rittenberg and Jay. And he said to my uncle, my uncle said, gee, I'd love to own a nightclub one day. And the next day, Jay Emmerich called him and said, it's for sale. What do you want to pay? So they wound up buying Faces when I was probably in my teens. And I would summer at their home in the Gold Coast, walk to Faces. And then when I was old enough to go there in college, I would bring girlfriends down there and friends. And I'd get their name on the sign. And we would dance the night away. And so I really got a little bit of that you know, fairy dust and that Saturday night fever in me, you know, so from a young age. So when it came time for me to open something up, I worked with some great people. And, um, you know, we just kind of sat down and thought about creating an environment that we hadn't seen in Chicago. It all, it all happened. And it's never pretty. You know, they always say you never want to see how a sausage is made or mm-hmm. a bill is a law with politicians. And I don't think that if you look back on how you construct a restaurant or a nightclub or any kind of spot that is hospitality driven, it's, you know, it's, it's never a smooth course. And so it has a lot of trials and tribulations, but hopefully in the end, what you do is you create something that makes people feel comfortable, excited. They want to dress up when they come. And of course you have to have great food and wine. Absolutely. So speaking of style and fashion and just fabulosity, you are the epitome of that. You've always had like this, I feel like it was very sophisticated, but it's kind of, you know, sophisticated, glam, but a little rock and roll. Would that be accurate how you describe yourself? You know, I remember one time I heard, I think Joan Rivens say, she was a simple girl with a dream, you know? And for me, I think it all kind of plays into the same thing. If you like upscale, you know, food and wine, and you're interested in trying things like, you know, cremants from France and some caviar every now and then. I mean, we also have here in Marquesa simpler fare, but we like to serve it in an elegant way. We like to dress up for the for the diners. And, you know, today people aren't dressing up as much, but mm. certainly if you want to put on your, your frock and your heels and your lipstick and all of that, you come on down to Marquesa, you'll feel very comfortable. And that's just, you know, how I feel. Like, I really love art history and design and architecture. And I love going to museums when I travel. So we try to pick from all of those things and then look for beautiful furniture. So we set a nice stage. And then the rest of it is a lot of theater. You know, we have some beautiful dishes, mother of pearl caviar spoons, try to delight people in every way that we possibly can. I've always admired your sense of style. I I feel like it's a little bit rock, chic, very sophisticated. So I want you to talk about your personal style because I feel like also it's evolved throughout the years since, you know, your Narcisse days to your Marquesa days. Sure. I mean, that's very flattering. Thanks a lot. I I ditto. I mean, we're a mutual admiration society as far as that goes. But I've always liked French fashion. Um, I mean, I like anything that kind of speaks to the Chanel vibe and Coco Chanel herself was one of those women in history, a fashion icon that, you know, really set the stage a hundred years ago. Uh, Think about it for how women can, you know, glam up their look every day, throw on some pearls, a nice uh, gardenia, flower, camellia, camellia, um, a a blazer. I mean, I do wear that kind of uh, look, but I also like a little edgier stuff and I'm Mm -hmm. a sucker for sequins. So whenever I can find something that has a little bit of razzle dazzle, sequins, pumps that have sequins, I really do fall for that. And we've tried to imbue the place with a little bit of that fashion glamour, you know, looking 
at the cross section of architecture, interior design, and fashion. I mean, I think I don't think you can go wrong when you use those things and you have that vocabulary. You know, the woman that we named this place after, Marquesa Luisa Casati, was also a fashion and art icon. And so she definitely has been a major influence. And we look at her life and her love of throwing fantastic parties. When did she live? So she was born in the late 1800s in Milan to a very aristocratic family, very wealthy, with a sister. And her parents passed away. And so she and her sister were were very wealthy um, heiresses. And she kind of grew up in that, you know, like Edwardian switching into flapper um, Mm -hmm. era, maybe just even a little bit earlier than that. But she went from being very proper to being very um, extravagant. Her, Her motto was, I want to be a living work of art. And so she dressed, um, you know, she had her couture made by all of the designers of the day, like Paul Poiret, who I have a picture of over my shoulder. And she would do things like dress like a chandelier and she'd stand at her party with crystals dripping over her. She would paint her staff in gold paint and have them passing things out. She had a wax figurine of herself, you know, that she would have stuffed and sitting, you know, sitting in in her um, beautiful villas. She lived in Paris. She lived in um, Milan. She lived in Capri. And she had a very beautiful home in Venice, which is today the Peggy Guggenheim Museum on the Great, on the Grand Canal. And when I went to the Peggy Guggenheim Museum, um, maybe five, six years ago, I've always enjoyed it. I've been lucky to go to Venice a couple of times. And I didn't realize, we'd already picked the name Marquesa, but I didn't realize that Marquesa Casati had lived in that very same building. And there's a lot of books about her life. There's a very wonderful archive website that you can find maintained by her family to this day that have pictures of her. She was painted by everyone. Sculptures were made of her. Um, All sorts of um, homages to her are at, at your fingertip. And she was admired by Carl Lagerfeld, Tom Ford has done a study of her. Um, I mean, a couple of years ago, I think Christian Lacroix did something. And so you stumble into the rabbit hole of Marquesa's mm-hmm. body and you find that you couldn't look for a better inspiration. We call her our entertaining muse because when you study her life, she liked to live over the top and throw you know, crazy wild parties. She had a pair of cheetahs that she would um, put Cartier diamond collars on and she would walk them through San Marco Square in Venice. And all of this wow. history out there. Um, and you can, there are books about her. We sell, we sell some of the books about her here. We have a small gift mm-hmm. shop. And so we sell Mother of Pearl Caviar Spoons and books about Marquesa Casati. Uh, we sell champagne sabers so people can like pop open a bottle um, mm-hmm. in a celebration. And so one of the ways that we pay homage to her is in cheetah accents. So we have like cheetah and we have cheetah carpeting and, um, you know, we sell cheetah blankets. It's it's one of the ways that we can kind of connect to her and her style. We have pictures of her in various places in the restaurant too. I love that. I absolutely love that because your place, it is, I love that you're telling me this story because um, your restaurant, it is filled with just like all kinds of over-the-top knickknacks. I don't even know how to really describe it because they're so extravagant and there's lots of mirrors, there's lots of just opulence in your restaurant through on every level and the basement talk about that champagne cave which is my favorite part of marquesa 
Well, the, the Champagne Cave here was inspired a bit by the boudoir at Narcisse. Mm, which was, my favorite room. And it really was a perfect example of late 90s excess in every way. But here we wanted to do something that spoke to our love of champagne. And um, so we had to, the process of building it was really arduous. We had to dig down and a lot of tears were probably shed, and not just from the people building the place, but probably from the contractors as well. But we wanted it to be kind of an homage to the Marquesa Casati's travels. So we call it like boho travel chic. Um, there's tusk, elephant, resin elephant tusks, and there's a lot of rugs and lanterns and, you know, Moroccan overtones. We've got some velvet couches and silk drapes. We have DJs. You know, the room is open Wednesday through Saturday. Right now we have DJ Fabian. And so we're happy to kind of make it a little mysterious, opulent, and over the top. You know, people really respond to it. It has a separate audience almost, although some of our diners come early for a drink in the cave or after dinner, they want to get down to the cave. It's open till 2 a.m. You know, as late as we can keep it open, we keep it going. And people really seem to enjoy it. Speaking of diners, let's talk about the menu and how the menu is constructed. I, I know it's very French, like you said, but it's not a lot of heavy French food. So talk about the menu and how it connects with the venue. Well, thank you for that. We have a a French chef, uh, Chef Didier Durand, and he's from Bergerac, but owned a very successful restaurant here in Chicago called Cyrano's for many years. Mm -hmm. And so he has a nice uh, crowd. And we also have a lot of diners looking for today, lighter interpretations, as you point out. So we have the classics, like you'll find beef bourguignon, escargot, um, you know, with a nice garlic butter. Um, But we also have lighter items. We have a lot of salads with protein. Um, we also have a, a really nice selection of seafood, bouillabaisse right now. Um, we do a lot of uh, south of France kind of food this time of year. So you'll find tapenade and uh, like things like pistou, uh, pisseladerie is like a, a southern French interpretation of pizza. And we also have, um, you know, all sorts of cheeses and charcuterie items if people are just looking for a light bite. What's that French pizza like? (laughs) It has a little bit of garlic. It has, uh, you know, we do an interpretation that has a little bit of like a pistou, which is like a garlic aioli, and that's delicious. I mean, it's more like a flatbread, I guess, compared to like a a pizza from Naples, you know, like a Italian pizza. But it gets that um, zesty kind of south of France, you know, like Marseille, the Côte d'Azur, that part of France. Mm -hmm. It gets that flavor profile, but in a French way. We also have Italian dishes, too. We have a great truffle risotto, truffle pasta, which is very popular. Um, We make gnocchi. We have a great uh, pasta maker here in-house, so we're able to do a little bit of, you know, French and Italian food. Awesome. So when you were deciding upon the menu, when you and your team were deciding upon the menu, as well as the concept of Marchesa, did you do a lot of traveling to uh, France and Italy before you decided this is how it's going to look? So as we were putting the restaurant together, it was important to shop for things that we needed to fill this three-story restaurant. We even have an Airbnb unit on the right that you can rent. Um, you know, it's like my apartment and we have it up on Airbnb. But in the restaurant itself, I feel like a real sense of continuity and history because many of the beautiful objects here come from my family. And so I'll look over right now in this private dining room and I see some beautiful um, chinoiserie gold mirrors from my aunt, Gloria. And I see 
plates that my parents gave me that were my grandmother Violet's. And every floor has items that I have um, brought from home uh, or that they gifted me, um, as well as some beautiful artwork from the Gino and Bernadette Batag collection. I have about a dozen oil paintings on the second floor. And I can't speak to what it would cost to have things like this, beautiful objects like this in your restaurant, you know, as a backdrop for your private dinner or just to come have a glass of wine here. There are some Picasso prints and people always ask, are they real? And I always say, I only wish, you know, that they were <laughs> real Picassos. I'd need a ring of security around the building. But we definitely did consider making a pleasing artwork. You know, our tagline is the art of food and wine. And so we kind of say that you're dining inside a piece of art, you know, as it were. And then some of the things are tax sale finds. You know, we scoured the city the year that we took to build out um, looking for pretty objects. And we have a, quite the collection in our office um, so that we can help people with pretty chargers and napkin rings and mother of pearl dishes. And, you know, we have some beautiful emerald green glasses of champagne flutes that were just gifted by our mutual friend, Chef Marcus Ford, after he had a wonderful party here a few weeks ago. So we're always collecting. We're trying to rotate like a prop house almost, you know, and we're happy. We're not afraid to move things around. So, you know, one day you come and it's a sit down dinner and the next day on our private dining level, we're having just, um, a, you know, a, a raging disco party or a very elegant sit down dinner. Um, you know, it's always something fresh. We're trying to constantly evolve and, and be challenged, you know, challenge ourselves to create new environments for people to celebrate. I love it. Now talk about the private dining room again. I know you said that they're on the, on two levels. You, well, you could do it anywhere in a restaurant, but I want you to talk about the types of events because I've never seen anything like your private spaces in Chicago that wasn't, you know, like a hotel or something like that. So mm -hmm. talk about how unique these spaces are for people's private events and how uh, it's just over the top. I love it. You know, we just, we love that over the top feeling. We, we, we like when people are wowed. I mean, we really think, obviously they say you eat with your eyes first, you know, and when you walk into a party space and someone's having a small wedding or renting out the entire facility, we want people to be dazzled, you know? So, you know, whether it's beautiful flowers, we have candelabra and, and uh, every, every manner of, pretty tchotchke, you know, that you can find. And the walls in this room that I'm sitting in today are painted a beautiful shade of green. They were hand stenciled and they make for beautiful backdrops in the Instagram era, especially you know, everybody wants to post something uh, visually stunning. We're, we're really up to that task. And um, like I said, there's a really talented team of people that I work with here. Uh, my, my, you know, my, my partner in crime, Francisco Montiel, my um, friend, Jason Clark played a role in getting everything to look so beautiful. And everyone from Nikki in the Champagne Cave, the Marquesa team is like a really dedicated group, small you know, group, it's like a family. And we really wanna, you know, our, our life's work is hospitality. And so, you know, we're looking for ways to make people feel warm, welcome, but also we're up to the task of, you know, having a very elegant, you know, seven, 10 course dinner, if that's what somebody wants to do, you know, we're, we're happy to do that. You know, we're, we've done some very cute children's parties, even, you know, moons and, oh yeah, you know, um, one-year-old birthday parties aren't the same as they were when I was growing up. <laughs> They're for the adults anyway. It's, it's for adults. Exactly. And, and, you know, people are just in the mood to celebrate and they want to come somewhere lovely to have a nice, a lunch or, 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 you know, we've even done breakfast events. 
Um, people rent the whole facility. We do a pretty great wedding business now. You know, we've really expanded our offerings um, so that we can offer a micro wedding or people can have as many as 75, 100 people. We do ceremonies. We do allow the restaurant to be used on days when we're not open. Um, or someone can do a buyout if they have a, uh, you know, a budget and they really want to, you know, gild the lily and do something over the top. We're here for them. It sounds like you do everything under one roof. And I don't want to sound like an infomercial or anything, but you truly do. From the private dining, you've got the, the lounge atmosphere with the champagne lounge. You have the main dining room where you do dining, smaller, larger. But what's really fascinating to me is that, which no one else has that I know of, is that you have this B&B situation going on. So that's incredible. And I think I've seen it before. It's, it's a lovely uh, building. And, and, you know, it was built in the late 1800s. And then in the 20s, someone from Italy, a gentleman named William Bertini, put a gorgeous um, limestone facade on this building. It used to be Susie Crofton's restaurant. And um, it was a restaurant from the 1940s all the way continually to today. And so while we did the extensive you know, construction to get the project open on three different levels, you know, we needed new everything, electrical work, plumbing. I mean, there wasn't anything here by the time we um, took over the space. There was an apartment on the top floor, and that became our office. And so everything we would buy and all of our possessions were up in that space for about a year. And so we, it was an apartment. And so we rented it out and we would use it as our test kitchen. We were even lucky enough to have like Robert Mondavi himself came um, for a tasting. We had Suzanne Groth was here doing a wine tasting. So it was like a really fabulous apartment. Um, and then once we were ready to open, we started moving all the artwork and, and furniture into the various levels of the restaurant as we were ready to open. And we didn't want to give up having that space. So we rented uh, personally, you know, I rented personally, and we decided to put it on Airbnb. Um, and, and so it's, um, it's been almost like uh, three years now that it's available. And so, you know, the, the French word for restaurant is really the word for restore. It's restauré. And so we, we, we think about that and we want to restore people's soul from a hard day with a nice glass of wine um, or just to make them feel better uh, because of the, you know, the, the warm feeling that we try to impart. Now, we don't get it right every time. There's no doubt. It's a work in progress every day. But I think when you have hospitality at the heart of your business and your mind, that your staff learn that and you learn from them and that at the end of the day we just try to make people feel good you know it's a, it's not rocket science you know hospitality um it's it's you know making people feel good and feeding them good food and you know cold drinks and and then doing it again and then we rinse and repeat and we do it again the next day so i have to ask Catherine, you're italian and you obviously love italian fare but at the same time you seem to be obsessed as we've discussed at length here you seem to be obsessed with french culture so what fare yeah. do you like best and what are your favorite foods, Italian and French? Well, I have to admit, I was fascinated by France from a young age. And we can all look at the excess of Marie Antoinette um, in, in life, at least the dazzling artwork. Now, I think today we tend to look back at some of the excesses of history with a different set of eyes, uh, no doubt. But when you go to Versailles, for example, and you see the beautiful things that were created from the artwork whether it's the beautiful gardens or, you know, her little petite lawn is one of my favorite places to visit. You know, I, I do love that type of 
opulence. And when it comes to food, I, I would have a hard time picking. I mean, I really do love classic French food. But at the same time, having grown up in an Italian household and traveled to France uh, many times when I was married to a, a wonderful guy from Italy, I'm a sucker for, you know, anything with truffle or I love seafood from Italy. But, you know, then there's bouillabaisse. It's, I think it's a wonderful lifelong passion. I always say that to, to people about wine, where you can spend your whole life studying wine and champagne and constantly be challenged and learn something new every day. And so if I had, to, if that was like, I mean, that would be a wonderful thing to have like a week long, you know, blind tasting. I've always wanted to do that with Franciacorta, sparkling wines from Italy and champagne, you know, because they're very much uh, made in the similar method. And I'd like mm-hmm. to do a blind tasting one day. I always like to do it around Bastille Day, but, you know, I seem to always miss the cycle. But that might be an interesting thing to do, to, to do a like an Italian version of a seafood stew. And I just think it's a wonderful way to go, you know, to have to like, you know, choose between the two cultures and the two cuisines. I'd have to say, I mean, because I'm Italian by my, my mother's side of the family and a very close relationship with my grandmother, Mary, and, and, and all of those um, people on that side, I would pick Italy, but then France is a close second. Okay. Well, Catherine, it has been a pleasure chatting with you and getting to know you better, even though I've known you for so many years, I didn't know you at all. Cause there's, yeah. so, I didn't know the faces story. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I want to tell you um, how proud I am of the path that your career is taking and has taken all these years from, from 312 now to your media empire, your burgeoning new uh, technology media empire. It couldn't happen to someone who's more sophisticated or savvy and really, you have your pulse on what's going on. So again, thank you so much for featuring uh, us here at Marquesa. Well, that does it for this episode. I want to thank my guest, Catherine Alvera Sullivan, again for joining me. We're back next Friday with another outstanding, talented, and of course, stylish culinary personality you don't want to miss. Thank you so much for listening to Feast and Fashion on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. I'm your host, Adasha Townsend. Meet me back here next Friday.